Well, the cat's out of the bag. Bill's preaching this morning. I started to say it's not too late, but it is. I do have good news this morning. Is uh, Kate was uh, very quick to make known as she came in this morning. It's almost Christmas, <laughs> and uh, if if my counting's not off by too much, I'm going to say 26 days till Christmas. Somebody that's good with arithmetic, uh, not you. It's, uh, Yeah, love, love, love Christmas. What a wonderful time of year. And of course, I mean, what better way to kind of kick off the Christmas season than Thanksgiving, right? Uh, It's a a good start to that celebration. Uh, Yeah, Christmas is coming. It's good news. A few weeks back, uh, during our, our Wednesday night study on prayer, we were led uh, to look at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. When, when his disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus uh, gave them the, the prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. We find it in Matthew chapter 6 as well as, as other places in the Gospels. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As the the author of the book that we were studying, reading along for Wednesday night, as the author very ably pointed out, there's much in that prayer for us to learn about prayer. That being his point. But if you'll forgive me, I'm not sure that was Jesus' point, and I'm not sure that that was God's point. God the Holy Spirit in in inspiring Matthew to include this lesson in his his gospel. So certainly there's a lesson about prayer here. But it's a secondary lesson. For as we remember, as we consider that the, the point, if you will, the purpose of the gospels is that so we will know Jesus. And so it's, it's, really, uh, it's really valuable for us always, always to have in mind, always to consider not, not to, what does this passage say to me, but what does this passage say about Jesus? Um, that's, that's where we can find confidence, assurance, certainty that we're reading the Bible right. There's one phrase, however, that was just uh, 
an aside there. That was, that was really off, off task. So you could probably ignore it if you want. So. One phrase in that prayer has really stuck in my mind ever since that night. And as a matter of fact, it's an idea that has stuck in my mind for years now. It's that simple little three-word phrase, your kingdom come. Even saying it here now this morning, I, 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 get, a, I get a chill that runs through me. Your kingdom come. This kingdom thing seems like it was very important to Jesus. In, in Matthew's gospel, the phrase, the kingdom of God, or the synonymous phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is found 36 times. Now, we all know that the book of Matthew only has 28 chapters. So the fact that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is recorded 36 times, that's, that's considerably more than once per chapter throughout the gospel. I think that little statistic... Is, is somewhat indicative of how important this idea was to Jesus, to Matthew, to God the Holy Spirit. And you'll forgive me for saying so. I think it ought to be to us. Mark, with his usual economy of words, summarizes Jesus' early ministry. We have it in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. By the way, did I put the three questions up for response time? There they are. And by the way, I just read the answer. To at least two of the three questions. So in case, in case you want to get points at the end, the, uh, there they are. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now this phrase that catches my attention, that we're going to look at closely this morning, the kingdom of God is at hand, is a, a phrase that has been of, of great interest to Bible scholars pretty much throughout the ages. I really think we will find it of value to spend some time and give our attention to what Jesus is saying in this particular instance. The kingdom, this word kingdom, in our mind and in our life situation, our experience, our knowledge, the kingdom, it, it sounds like a place. The kingdom of... Why did the kingdom of Poland come to mind? That's, that's weird. Um, but there's all kind of kingdoms. 
I can't think of any others right now. But, sir, ma'am? The United Kingdom. Yes, the United Kingdom. That, that's England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Is that it? Anywhere else? The Seychelles. No, that's in Africa. So kingdom to us is a place. But if we consider all that the scriptures have to say about the kingdom of God, it's abundantly clear that, that this kingdom is not a physical place except in two very specific instances. What then is a kingdom? The most obvious answer to this question is a kingdom has a king. Ta-da! And quite often, there's a word that is used synonymous with king, a word that we like around here. That word is sovereign. In a kingdom, the king is the sovereign. He is the final say. He's the, the ultimate word. And, and again, it's, it seems very obvious to say it, but in a kingdom, the king reigns over the kingdom. He rules. He is the authority in the kingdom. The king is the sovereign, ultimate, final authority in his kingdom. The king can do no wrong. The king's word, the king's actions, are, are not subject to review in a kingdom. He is perfection. He is the definition of perfection in his kingdom. He is immune. He is not questioned or corrected. He may be advised. He may be counseled. Request may be made. But what he decides is final, not subject to review or question. <coughs> I can see it on your faces that these ideas are kind of offensive to good American folks. We decided a long time ago, no king, no kingdom. We are a democratic republic. We don't have any king to reign over us. And as a good American, I would agree with that, as long as we're talking about the United Kingdom or even the Kingdom of Poland. But this morning we're talking about the Kingdom of God. Something else that's always in a kingdom, a king, but also there's subjects, there's people in a kingdom. And the role of the people is, as the word says, is to be subject to the king, to, 
to be obedient to the king, to obey what the king has said. The subjects of a kingdom serve the king. They, they labor, they work for the benefit of the king. An opportune moment to have a drink of water. Told you we should buy a mop. <laughs> Obedience, service. Their labors are to the benefit of the king. This, this really, really works back into this idea of the sovereignty of the king. The subjects of the kingdom honor the king. You can think in terms of, if you've ever seen a movie or a TV show, when uh, people come into the, to the room where the king is, what do they do? They bow. Right? And there's other things that goes on that that indicate their honor for the king. But also the, the subjects of the kingdom are the beneficiaries or the recipients of the king's blessings, of the king's largesse. A lot of this likewise sounds offensive to uh, good Americans except that we're talking about the kingdom of God and his subjects. We want to look at how Jesus explains, how Jesus gives understanding about the kingdom of God. And the way Jesus gave this understanding, the way he explained about the kingdom of God was, was through parables. You're, you're no doubt familiar with the, the parables of Matthew chapter 13. And in the, in the parables area, particularly in that most familiar, that, that first parable, Jesus, uh, what's called the parable of the sower. Remember Jesus talks about the, the, the uh, sower of the grain goes out and he, he broadcasts the seed out and, and some of it lands on, on the road and some of it lands on rocky soil and some of it lands in thorns and thistles and some of it lands on good soil. Jesus says that this, this when, when the disciples ask him to explain the parable, Jesus says this, this parable is about the kingdom of God. And he tells them that this parable is not to be understood it's, it's not going to have an effect on everyone who hears him tell the parable. There's other parables in Matthew chapter 13 that pretty much restate this lesson and emphasize what Jesus is saying about the power of the king and the kingdom of God. What Jesus explains is the tremendous value, the tremendous worth 
that is to be had in the kingdom of God. And the great reach, the expanse of its touch. Matthew 13, 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Very plainly, some get it, some don't. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I specifically tell the parables so that they won't get it. A lot going on here that don't set right with us today. For first of all, that's not fair. It's just not fair that Jesus would secret what he is saying about the kingdom of heaven inside of a little story. Offensive. Even knowing I mean, this might be offensive if it was about anything else, but even in today, in this age, knowing that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven doesn't make it less offensive. To many, it's even more offensive. And to many, they will take the scissors to their Bible and simply excise this parable. All of Matthew 13, a good portion of the Gospel of John, the first three chapters of Ephesians, and numbers of other pages from the Bible. But what did I say? What did I say about the king in the kingdom? What's, what's the first first principle for the king in the kingdom he is sovereign he is the ultimate authority and what he decrees what he proclaims what he establishes is not to be questioned not to be reviewed, reviewed and has ultimate authority the kingdom of heaven has a king who is sovereign over all his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has a king whose power and reach is unlimited. A king who will bless those who enter and will judge those without. Again, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, beginning in verse 41, The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus gives us to understand that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a kingdom that defines all other kingdoms. The kingdom of God is is the ultimate kingdom. It is the final kingdom. It is the true kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, God is sovereign. God is immune from question, from review. He may be counseled, he may be advised. But when he decides, when he proclaims, his decision is final. In the kingdom of God, God is to be honored. In the kingdom of God, God is to be served. And in the kingdom of God, it is his subjects who are the recipients of his blessings, of his grace, of his love, his mercy. Your kingdom come. So, so what then did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, this isn't a phrase that we use every day, but I dare say it's, it's not unfamiliar to us or we understand that when something is at hand, that it's, it's at hand. It's, it's within reach. In, in both time and space, when something is at hand, right here, here it is. So here Jesus, when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within your reach. Jesus is saying, here I am. So close, the kingdom of God is so close to you right now, you can reach out and touch it. Jesus says, here is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a person. The kingdom of God is a presence, the presence of the king. And entering the kingdom of God is simply entering into Jesus Christ. Reaching out to receive him, reaching out to receive your king. Turning away from self, turning away from sin and self, and accepting this good news. Receive the sovereign Lord. Acknowledge his perfection. Unquestioning submission to his lordship. Serve him. Honor his majesty. Worship his glory. Living in the light of his blessings, his goodness, 
his love. The writer of Hebrews said, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. When the Son of God became the Son of Mary, when the Son of God took upon Himself human flesh, when the Son of God was incarnate, the kingdom of God had broken in on the world of mankind. And as He stood there before the people on that day. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe the good news. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So the one instance where the kingdom of God is a physical place would have been standing in the presence of the incarnate Son of God, the God-man, Jesus. But I said... There are two. Where, when is the second? The prophets of old said, the word of, said by the word of God that his kingdom would be established on earth and his glory would fill the land. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so it shall be. For this has been God's purpose. This has been God's very plan, God's intention from before the creation of this world. The king is coming and he brings his kingdom to the fulfillment of all that he has said. The Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, 
For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. An eternal kingdom where God himself is king, king of kings and Lord of lords. In every respect, he is sovereign. And his people live with him for eternity in the shadow of his love. I can't get that prayer out of my head. Your kingdom come. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted in his people. Amen.